Josh Hartwell, your host, and we are back for a second episode. This week's episode, I have my good friend Chase Schiller. Hey, how's it going? And we are a go. So first off, I wanted to uh, kind of say how the first episode, the response of that one went. I went to uh, an event yesterday. In fact, uh, I went to a Drum Corps International Lafayette show, um, and uh, I got some good response on uh, the first episode of this podcast. I was pretty thrilled, actually. Um, I had some friends tell me that they liked it and they wanted to be a part of it, and you know, this is uh, that's pretty motivating. I think um, I think this is going to be pretty great. Um, so, what's been going on with me? Um, it's been about two and a half weeks since we recorded the first episode, and a lot has happened. <laughs> uh, the next day, in fact, I, I totaled my vehicle, um, and it's just been it's been interesting since. Uh, as far as that goes, I'm still in the hunt for a vehicle. So if you got any, how are you, uh, how are you getting around? I mean, how am I getting around? Yeah, um, I'm getting around by uh, the courtesy of others <laughs> and the lift app if we were sponsored by lift it'd be a perfect plug right now Dude. um the uh <laughs> yeah this is the courtesy of others man like that and uh honestly i i've been haven't really been going anywhere i i've been using uh uh the old legs to get around yeah so. you just have to go across the street yeah, to practice across the street to practice for senior recital so um, as far as that goes, I mentioned yesterday I went to DCI Lafayette. Um, that was cool since I've been a year out of drum corps. And seeing uh, everything that's been going on with that has been uh, pretty cool. These shows are getting very, very interesting. They're getting very uh, modern, and they are <laughs> they're, they're fun. I will say that. Um, as far as that goes, uh, my alumni corps, um, the corps I marched, Louisiana Stars, has a great show. Um, if you're listening and a part of the core or has have been a part of the core, congratulations on a great show. Um, it's fantastic. It's called Sanctuary. Um, it includes, uh, it's based off one percussion ensemble piece, Consider the Birds. Ooh. It has um, Blackbird. Uh, I don't know who the artist is, but Blackbird or whatever it is. Is that, um, is that uh, what's his name? <sighs> I can't remember. He's a black guy and he makes a lot of noises with his mouth like crazy different yeah i think i know what you're talking Ooh, about bobby mcferrin is oh, that bobby yeah. mcferrin maybe yeah yeah he's uh, awesome and it also has a uh the last movement is based on Freebird. so <laughs> <laughs> do they have somebody playing the guitar solo no uh <sighs> i think the trumpets took took over that or uh, most of the brass took over that um anyway i went to that that was fun Got over there somehow in Lafayette. Lafayette's about an hour away from here. Um, and then also, since the last podcast, I've been teaching a lot <coughs> at a, a local high school here. And uh, been teaching. It's, it is marching band season, I'm telling you all right now. Dude. Jeez. It is back in full swing, especially for uh, McNeese and uh, all the local high schools here, for sure. Uh Teaching's been going good. I've just been, um, you know, the usual routine. You got drum camps. You got band camp coming up. So, jeez. I, 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 I don't – I like teaching them. I just don't miss 
being a part of yeah. that. So, uh, but yeah, March Band's full in full swing. My guest today, as mentioned before, is Mr. Chase Gillett. Mr. <laughs> a, good, yep. a colleague of mine, a great friend. He's done a lot for me in my getting my name around here in uh, in Lake Charles. He got me my first gig here that led to an extended gig I had. He got me a gig here that uh, I was filling in for a New Orleans funk band and uh, a local band here that I played with for about a year was opening for them. And after the show, they asked me to play for them. So uh, shout out to Mr. Gillett here. He is <laughs> <laughs> He also Steve, got me no my... Problem. He also recommended me for a uh, teaching position here um, at a local music store, uh, music store, Swiskid Music, um, the Right Note Studio, and uh, we're also Wesley teaches piano lessons. So. The recording engineer. Yes, correct. And yes, Wesley's business is R and R Mobile Recording LLC, and they will go as far as they can to record for all your recording needs. He's the man, once again. Anyway, yeah, so uh, me and Chase <laughs> met. <laughs> me and Chase met um, here at McNeese about three and a half years ago. I think so. I'd started uh, spring 2014, I think it was. Yep, that was my second semester here. Um, and Mr. Gillett here was a engineering major for yeah, two no. years? <laughs> uh, like two and a half Two and a half. Yeah, and I was no, I wasn't feeling that. No, it's like I got to do the whole music thing. So, mm-hmm. I'd, actually, I had met Marcus before anybody else because I was longboarding the class, and so was he. And then we like, what's just, up, bro? Basically, yeah, we just started like talking, and then and then uh, I was like, so what are you in school for? He's like, oh, I'm a music major. I'm, I'm with Lonnie Benoit. You know, I play percussion. And I was like. No way. So basically, I got all the information from him, uh, did as much engineering as I could, and then I was like, well, looks like I'm going to go join my buddy Marcus and start drumming, and that was it. Dude, that's uh, that's really great, because when uh, you came in, we were fairly small. We just lost, like, maybe, like, five or six people um, in the studio. Dang. And, uh, yeah, we were... We were hurting. I, w- I wouldn't say hurting. <laughs> I was just, we didn't have enough bodies. Um, but, yeah, that's great because uh, I w- actually I wanted to ask you. I, I forgot to write it down. But I wanted to ask you how that uh, decision came to uh, to light. Like, what oh. what day were you like, okay, this is it. I'm changing. Okay, so <laughs> I had taken, like, uh, physics, like, twice. I had taken calculus one twice and then I was going to Cal 2 and I just couldn't hang with like Cal 2 and then all the math oh god I was just like it what really put it in perspective was when I actually started doing uh the music program and started practicing it was just so much easier to spend hours and hours and hours in the practice room Mm -hmm. hitting the marimba and trying to read this music than than doing math like I just oh I can totally see that it was it was <laughs> boring and I just didn't have the will to do it so I switched there you go best decision of my life oh, guaranteed I would, I would definitely say so 
I mean, compared to uh, compared to um, when you got here and what you're doing now is light years ahead, oh. and it's it's very very inspiring, especially to um, people who've come in and got a slow start and or didn't have the background that uh, some other people have. Um, the uh, forgive me by the way, I'm a little under the weather, so that's, that's why okay. That's why I'm sniffling a bunch, but. Uh, <laughs> so, as far as that goes, your your journey from where you began to where you are now is just, it's great. I really, I just wanted to tell you that that's, dude, just respect. Like, that's it. Thanks, dude. Yeah. That means a lot. That yeah, really means sure. a lot. Uh, especially because um, I didn't do the music stuff right after high school. So, there was like a good period of two and a half years that I didn't read a single piece of music. And then just like jumped right in it oh yeah yeah so. so uh that was like i actually didn't uh practice that much before i got here either i um i tore um a ligament in my thumb and i had surgery and i was out for three i was a tendon like, i don't know is there a difference probably uh yeah i guess <laughs> one connects to the bone i think and then one connects to the muscle oh gotcha yeah. <laughs> so i tore that and uh I was out for three to four months, and I just came in here with no kind of chops at all. So, Dang. Uh, just like seeing that um, the journey that that everybody goes on is like amazing. It, everybody has their own story. I mean, like uh, that's what I like best about these um, these kids that I'm teaching right now. These, especially these little six year olds, I'm teaching like their journey's just begun. And mine began around the same age. And that in itself is like the coolest thing to me. Like like seeing some a musical life start to grow. Who knows if they'll stick with it? I don't know. It it just depends on um what they're destined to do. But yeah. uh, you figured it out. You figured it out in college that okay, I'm not supposed to be an engineer. I'm supposed yeah, to be no. playing drums. <sighs> no. So yeah. uh but now um years later uh we actually met in your first lesson oh uh, yeah yeah i was using the hinge sticks because <laughs> my fulcrum sucked <laughs> uh for those of you who don't know hinge sticks are these teaching uh sticks that vic firth makes that <laughs> uh show you how to hold a stick and chase was using those and uh we were just all drumming it is now about to be fall of 2017. Yeah. That's crazy. And uh, to put it in kind of perspective, I'm like the oldest dude in the studio. Like, I think it was 21 when I started. No, I was about to turn 21 when I started in the studio. So. I was whopping 18 years yeah, old. Yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah, I was. My birthday's in May, so it's like. Mine too, yeah. The 16th and yours is 13th. The, yeah. yeah, dude. So it's like. Uh, I've always had a late birthday, so I've always been the younger guy in school. But, um, yeah, he uh, came in. And that was that was the start of it all. Um, the uh, what did you play first? You played marimba at all? Yeah. Well, um, before joining the music program. Uh, uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Well, I had started learning drum set when I was nine from a, a local musician named Trey Newmiller. And He's a man, back, dude. That was back when it was Doc's music. <laughs> And, uh, well, something happened and he stopped teaching lessons. I think he like went toward with somebody or whatever. 
So I was just playing in like my middle school band up until high school, and then I joined Drumline, and of course I didn't make it the first year. I was in Pit. I got to play the Tam Tam, hey. which is definitely the best part. Oh, for sure. Rack is so cool. Dude, in, in Wind Symphony and Symphonic Man, if there's a Tam Tam part, I'll always get that. <laughs> so yeah, so I played in the Drumline. I marched cymbals the second year, snare, and then bass four. And then I started taking lessons again, like, about my senior year, and it was from Trey. My mom had saw him in Daryl's and got his number. Yeah, Daryl's the local uh, amazing po'boy shop. You're yes, in Lake Charles. dude. But, um, yeah, and he was teaching at Swicegood at mm-hmm. the time. So I started taking lessons from him and took for him a little bit, and then I think uh, I stopped – uh, and did the whole engineering thing and just kind of like practiced on my own, you know, YouTube videos, all that stuff. And then I YouTube re- University, dude. Yeah. That's how I changed the alternator in my truck once. That's how I built my entire bike. Just YouTube. <laughs> yeah, dude. YouTube, YouTube, everything, man. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah. And then I switched my major and then, uh, yeah, that's like the whole start of it. Uh, uh, that's interesting. I didn't know that you stopped taking lessons. I thought you always took from Trey. No, because I I really liked taking from him. I tried to take from like some guy. I think it was a uh, Ken Turner at Lake Charles Music. Okay. And I just wasn't feeling it. You know, he was a different. He's good. He's uh-huh. very good, but it's he's like a different sort of drummer. Right. And I was like all into rock and stuff, and that's yeah. what that's what Trey was all about. So that's what I liked, and. Yeah, that just kind of evolved from, like, a studentship to, like, a good friendship. Mm-hmm. And during the time when I was doing the engineering stuff, I would drum tech for him. So he, like, taught me all these tricks and basically prepared me to gig on my own. It was it was really Such cool. an important aspect that you need to be taught. We were talking about that on the last podcast, how you can't really be, I guess, taught how to gig. Like, you just got to go be in the you field do and it. do it. Um yeah, Ty was talking about that, but the um, that's interesting. I I think drum tagging is actually a cool gig. I it's would, it's cool. I would totally do that. It's really cool, man. I I I loan my drum set to Taylor Teague and mm-hmm. I tech for him. So yeah, yeah, that's really fun. It's it's still fun. He lets me set the whole kit up, mm-hmm. and then when I'm done, I'm like, all right, you can you can play now. There's <laughs> there's guys out there in uh in L. A. who uh and even Nashville, I believe who go out there and they're just drum techs. I mean, they still gig locally or whatever, but they'll go on these big tours. Um, but like big names. Big names. Yeah. Like, In fact, the the guy who drum teched for um, John Bonham is still alive, and he still does teching stuff, and he still tells people the techniques he used to, to tune and to set up Bonham's kit, which is legendary. That's, uh, that's some... You know, the, you know Bonham's kit when... I mean, John Bonham, drummer of Led Zeppelin, for all you non-drummer listeners right there. Um, And, uh, yeah, dude, there's an old YouTube video. Again, YouTube. But um, (laughs) he's he's setting up his kit, and he's like, he did it like this, and he tuned his bass drum like this, his four-time like this. And it's just, that's where, you know, you got to have a guy that you trust to get your signature sound out there. Everybody's got their own sound, but, you know. So it his was so like distinct and separate. Um, it's the huge drums, man. Yeah, the big huge drums. drums. Keith Moon played with like a twenty six inch bass drum, <laughs> drum for the Who, non drummer listeners. 
Um, but it's funny because uh, a lot of what you do links back to Trey. Yeah, he – okay. So before I hooked up you, you up with the Swice Good gig, he hooked me up with the Swice Good mm-hmm. gig. Where you used to take lessons. Yes, where I used to take lessons. And, of course – actually, no. No, it was Wesley. <laughs> it was Wesley that hooked me up with the Swice Good gig. But, of course, Trey put in a good word. But – Anyway, Wesley hooked me and Tyler, and who else? It was it just us two? Taylor Lee. Taylor Lee. That was a lot later, though. I was talking yeah. about like right then. Oh, right then, uh, it was just you and Tyler. It was me and Tyler. If for all y'all who don't know, Tyler is this really awesome guitar player. He went to McNeese, graduated music performance. He also plays violin. He's great. He's great. He's great. He's great. He's uh he's a strings guy for sure. I'm, I'm sure he does other stuff too. But like, oh yeah, he man. plays keyboard in this new yeah. band he's in. Oh nice. Yeah. Yeah, that dude's great. Tyler, you're really cool, man. I like working with you. It's yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Um, Wesley. Wesley hooked me up. Wesley hooked you up. And then yeah. Trey, but Trey hooks you up with Jerry D. Diaz. Yeah, Jerry Diaz. Yes. And that leads me to my next question. How is it in the trap rock world? Okay. From the outside looking in, it looks kind of, th- this isn't my how I feel. This is how other people feel they see it as kind of lame because it's like country and and uh just like easy tunes like sing-along tunes and all that stuff and jimmy buffett so a lot of people are like i don't want to play jimmy buffett wow don't don't yeah but i just like embraced it with open arms and it's really cool because the fans are the best part it's not about playing like good music or whatever the fans love all the tunes they sing along it feels like you're at a concert with 50,000 people dude and there's like five or six or seven people there but they know the words to every single song and it's just great the first gig I had was at the Alabama Ice House in Houston Trey couldn't play that gig he was playing with the Cadillacs hooked me up with that gig first gig ever I set up the kit and this lady comes up and she's like hey, do you have any drumsticks? And I was like, yeah, sure. And she was like, you sound really good. Can you sign one of your drumsticks and give it to me? Ah. And I was just, dude, at that moment, I was like, oh, my God, this, this is, is awesome. I do. love this gig. Yeah, yeah, so dude. That feeling was just amazing. That And I don't care who you are, musician, non-musician, like in all these people you listen to who are playing these arenas, like that's that's like what some people's goal is. Like I think sometimes you imagine you're like, what if I was like on that stage with fifty thousand people? But like it, the same energy can come from a smaller crowd. Yeah, it uh, definitely. The best shows that I've played are the ones where you got people who aren't afraid to just sit there and rock it, like rock Dude, out, like act a fool in front of the stage. Act of, stuff. yeah, <laughs> like you know, <laughs> you're on the stage and you're looking, and you're like, hmm, that's interesting. But at the same time, you're like, ah, they're into it. I like it. It's great. And that leads us back to what we were talking about, which I think will maybe a common theme in this podcast is you play for an audience. I mentioned that a lot in the last one and, you know, me and Ty are talking about it. And, uh, and that's, you know, like I said, we're like our own corporation. What we do is our product is what is, you know, people listen to. And, uh, and that's why, um, that's one of the things, one of the things that I think uh, is cool about like drumming, I don't want to get back into what, like re-talk about what we talked yeah. about last week, but you know, you get you get my point. Like it, it, the audience is 
has to be on the priority list. You can have sure. chops for days, but if the people don't want to listen to it, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, it's uh, especially for this chop. You play for a lot of parrot heads. Parrot heads are Jimmy Buffett super fans, Dude, basically. Yes, and I actually love Jimmy Buffett. I mm-hmm. don't care who knows. I grew up I on l- that. I yeah. love Jimmy Buffett, and it's great. But yeah, they're all parrot heads. They will, dude. They drink so hard. Like I've tried to, I've tried to go to these gigs, and like they'll be like, "Hey, you want a shot of tequila?" I'll be like, "Okay," and then like they're, okay. The last gig I played with them, they were like passing around this huge gallon of spiced rum, and Goodness I was gracious. an idiot, and I like took a swig of it, and I was just gone dude like you can't they spiked it with jimmy buffett no you you just can't keep up with them because they've been drinking for so long and listening to margaritaville eight times in a row we play it once okay (laughs) but we end another song just like that one (laughs) 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 yeah dude yeah okay that yeah yep my uh that i like jimmy buffett a lot but i don't think i would be a parrot head like I'm not hating at all, but that is so interesting to me how I didn't even know what they were until you until you told me about them. They're fans of this type of music that's like almost like a fusion of like rock, country and like island tropical and yeah. island stuff and like old things like um Beach Boys type music Such stuff a, it's too. It's a cool genre of music. It's it's really fun. Uh we have a steel pan player in the band. Okay, so. cool. And that's my next purchase instrument was me too. Definitely. Lead he, pan yeah. Days. He plays lead. And sometimes we get a guy, if the lead pan player can't play mm-hmm. guy named Howard, he comes in with some seconds and he sings harmonies while he's playing too. It's crazy. It's awesome. I think more people need to listen to steel pan music or Absolutely. Caribbean in general or trap rock. Even, uh, I don't know. Or Hootie and the Blowfish, a trap rock band. Uh, uh, me either. They sound like a trap rock band. That's what I'm saying. We but don't cover their songs. But so. Darius Rucker, the country artist, we play Wagon Wheel. Mm-hmm. That's one of yeah, the songs. Yeah. Okay. We play. So he's like into that genre. I like him. I, even for country, I like listening to him. But he's really good. It's um, a different kind of country. Uh, did you get to play the Minute Maid Park gig? You were talking about? No, I really, really wanted to, uh, but I didn't get asked to play it, okay. which is okay because uh, I think we had drumline oh, okay. that day yeah. but March no band season but i did play the crystal beach full moon party the yeah. week before that you played there a couple times right? yeah Gal- it, Galveston? Okay. i played twice well no it's on the way to oh, Galveston, that's right like yeah, right yeah. before you get on the ferry okay but i played that gig twice the first time i was subbing for trey and it was not that big we had like maybe a tent set up and we were under the tent and on tarps on the sand and uh, Tracy Bird played in between our two sets. I don't know if you guys know who Tracy Bird is, but he's like, he's a popular country recording artist from Texas. And uh, so he played in between our sets. And during his thing, a couple of the musicians like kept getting up and kind of playing with him. And then I sat behind the kit and then we finished the set with him. And oh, then, nice. Yeah. So I got to play with Tracy Bird, which was cool. And, like, he was really impressed because we didn't know the songs he was playing. Mm-hmm. But the dude playing guitar for him was like, I can't believe y'all did that. I've been trying to learn these songs for months. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I'm just I'm just back here feeling it. Just, you got to feel it, dude. Exactly. Country, country is a, I, I say this all the time, I would love to be a country 
music like drummer. I would, I would, yeah, I would love it. I, I think the feel. I mean, plus I grew up on that stuff, and it's like, um, especially for some. I think I saw that dude live on accident. Uh, where I'm from, um, passing in a Deer Park area of Houston, uh, they have this festival every year called the Strawberry Festival, and yes. he was there playing, and I was like, huh. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I like him. He's pretty good. Huh? But uh, yeah, I saw him on accident. But when you said the name, I was like, "Oh, dude, I, I Tracy like Bird." That. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's cool because like uh, Trop Rock has gotten you all those opportunities. Jerry Diaz. What's it's his band called? Just Jerry. Diaz? Jerry Diaz and Hannah's Reef. Okay. It's uh, so Jerry he sings. He plays acoustic guitar. He writes all the songs, and he's not a bad writer. He his songs are really really oh, catchy. Good. Uh, they have Mark Morellis. He plays lead pan. Uh, Heli Martinez. <laughs> this dude is awesome. He plays guitar, and he's a jazz guitarist. He's not a country guitarist. <laughs> so, like, whenever he's doing his guitar solo, he'll sneak in all these jazz licks, and I'm just like, this doesn't belong here, but it sounds so awesome. It sounds great, but it's like, uh, what? <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, originally, um, Bobby, uh, this guy Bobby, was playing bass. He he was actually a really big, uh, really big bass player. Like he recorded with some like big names. Nice. Uh, and which is hard to do for a bass player. Yes, yes. Uh, and then he passed away from cancer. Oh. So we had some like fill-in bass players, but uh, Nick Montu, he lives in Lake Charles. He plays bass. He's really good. He's on this gig now. And uh, then we had Bud Byram on congas and accessories. And uh, he passed away not too long ago, mm. uh, earlier this spring, and I got offered the position. So now I'm there, like now you're full time. I'm the uh, well, basically. I mean, if they have the budget for it and whatever, but yeah. I actually have a gig coming up this weekend in Galveston, nice. which is cool. So I've been playing like, oh yeah, let me let me go back. So they asked me to play this conga gig, and I didn't have any congas. So the first thing I did was buy some congas, and it was. Probably the best investment I've ever made. Have you already made your money back? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, but they, I picked up like almost a two gigs every other weekend. Wow. Just from playing this one gig with them. And like, I'm not a conga player. I had taken those master classes with Eric Hines. Yeah. And that was it. And I just kind of have learned like on the job basically on the job training and it's working out very well so uh, now i guess i'm the official congo player and on drum set is uh trey newmiller my teacher so yeah. he hooked me up back to the beginning of wh where this started trey hooked me up with this gig networking is super super important it is the us. most important thing I, I i would actually agree with you because there there's guys who in and at this point like playing ability matters but not as much as like the people you know and for you um you like who like who would have thought at nine years old that you would have been uh playing with the guy who teaches you yeah it's, it's actually so awesome because yeah. what he taught me carries over so we'll have like the same mindset like i'm playing my conga groove he's doing the drum set and then yeah. the fill comes and we're like playing the same thing. It's crazy. It's awesome. Yeah, it's uh, man, that even that feels great. Like uh, that's why I wanted to get into jazz because the opportunity for improv 
and uh endless endless amounts of improv and the the opportunity to play with great musicians is one of the reasons why I wanted to wanted to be more of a jazz guy because of uh that one little moment you get when everybody's linked up yeah, and they play it's, it's great yeah Wesley's over here like yeah yeah I mean <laughs> me and Wesley have those moments all the time <laughs> oh, with man. like the the Taylor Teague project yeah it's just like that I feel like you get more opportunities of that in jazz. I mean, in rock, you don't really rock is pretty much straightforward, but yeah, um, in country especially. But yeah, man, that, throwing yourself in those moments and like finally getting one, like the ones that I felt in jam sessions or whatever, is just like I, I crave euphoria, that euphoria, dude. Everybody, everybody, yes, everybody, everybody's on the same page somehow mentally, and I, that's that's another thing. Like we can get in depth on like what people think the power of music is or what people think the power of anything like that is but like something about this connection that you get with other people and, and when you're not playing something that is written down or anything like that you're just playing like that yeah, it's just just a split second split second mutual decisions is it's uh, crazy it by not by accident I, i'm not gonna say by accident i'm just say by chance like it's it, like that is like you get the opportunity to do that, then it's gonna happen at some point, whether it's at the beginning or at the end or in the middle. Um, that's what I look for a lot of the time when when I want to play music. It's just like, oh, give it, just let it happen. I think, well, honestly, when it happens unexpectedly, it's even better. But I guess it always happens unexpectedly. Would it? Would it? I don't know. There's I mean, there's some times when you can look over at someone like Wesley does this thing. Where he does like this triplet thing over four four, and I know it's like when I hear him doing that, I'm like, all right, we're about to metrically modulate, right. bro. <laughs> so I like playing with certain musicians over and over again. You guys will have like these certain motives that right. you, that you already know you from remember. each other. Yeah, yeah muscle memory, so. almost, mental memory, like uh, that. Uh, I've only felt that you know a few times, but at the same time, I don't have anybody consistently i play with so it's you know, it's always a mix-up yeah uh so it ends up being you know um even better because like somehow you guys link up um and it, it it's it's like oh uh, it's like magic. gold magic i don't know whatever <laughs> it is like whatever you want to call it magic. now like <laughs> i guess and you get trop rock magic you get jazz magic it's all different magic it's it's all different types of genres of magic <laughs> um so <laughs> tell me tell me how you got the uh first united methodist gig here in town sam best dude shout out sam best shout alumni. out to samuel best living in tucson arizona, arizona right now he's playing with the unday and a metal group called Elysian. Unday is really cool. They have like a violin chick that oh, sings. Cool. It's, it's crazy. Cool. Uh, Sam is an alumni of our studio, our percussion studio at McNeese State University. And uh, he um, graduated two years ago. I think so. Oh. I think it was 2015. Sam, I don't know. Maybe? Mess me on Facebook. Tell me when you graduated. <laughs> but uh, Sam moved out to Arizona, but um, he was the main drummer uh, at a a pretty big local church here downtown uh first united methodist church um pretty cool uh, music program um under the director direction of uh, a former faculty faculty at mcneese state university um but he got you that gig 
Sam. And yeah. uh, how's that going? That's a weekly Sunday morning. It's a weekly Sunday morning thing, but I can't do it during marching band, which is why I didn't want to do marching band this year. And then they already did the luncheon trip. So mm-hmm. I was like, I got to do marching band because I haven't been out of the country. But it's great. It's really low stress. I mean, it's only five songs, and they have you linked in with this app and website page, and they, like, send you all the songs. Oh, they nice. have the charts with, like, Is the Is it Planning sheet. Center? Yeah, they use yeah, Planning Center, and it's super easy to use. Super easy to use. It's great. Because of the links of the songs and everything yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. It's a really low stress gig, and everybody is just happy to be there, you know? Uh, most of the time, people, they learn the stuff, and they take care of it. Uh, every now and then they'll have some like sub members that come in that they didn't really look at the songs that much, but it's okay. Cause it's like one piece of the puzzle is just kind of not yeah there, but we normally have the same people there. Good. So yeah. it, it stays really solid. Same with uh, my Sunday morning gig. Uh, they're like trying to, uh, get the, the song selection a little bit more modern. And oh. if if you guys don't know, um, listeners, uh, hymns are tough to beat sometimes with <laughs> the elderly crowd. They love um, those old hymns redone. Old hymns, the old three four remix. Like, yeah, like chopped and screwed. You know? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the uh, uh, man, that'd be wild <laughs> if there was a <laughs> chopped and screwed <laughs> hymn, <laughs> like Amazing Grace, chopped and screwed. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, amazing <laughs> grace. <laughs> you got the dude with this, the elbows on the car going down the street with Slabs. a 20-inch sub in his trunk. Oh my goodness. His hood ornaments and crucifix. Yeah. <laughs> That's some Houston rap right there, everybody. Houston, Houston H-Town. Yeah. The... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, yeah, they they're trying to do like the more modern CCM songs, so yeah. it's a tough transition, especially when most of the congregation's an older crowd. So um, it's getting there, you know. It's it's kind of it's weird. I mean, uh, I like doing it because, like you said, it's low stress. Um, Very low stress. One rehearsal a week, one performance a week. Yeah, but it's really early. Like that's yeah, I got to be there at 8 a.m. out in Sulphur. So. Well, that's another thing I don't understand. So they have the contemporary service at 8.30 a.m. and then the traditional one at 10.45. Oh, I think like, it should be flipped around. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. But they, they can't do that because people are used to it being this way and blah, 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 blah. blah. Right. Yeah, yeah, I have to wake up at 6.30 and then get dressed and be there at 7.30 for a rehearsal. Yeah, the the older crowd definitely gets up early. <laughs> like. Yeah. They, they want to be there early so they can leave earlier and uh, water their gardens and <laughs> walk yeah. their or go to the eating places. Lap dogs and yeah. The but, senior uh, special. Yeah, seriously. Uh, <laughs> I want my senior drink. <laughs> uh, the <laughs> the only reason I'm saying this is because I know no older person is going to be listening to this. So, yeah, no, uh, no. But yeah, we, we got to be there at 8 and we rehearse four to five songs depends on the week and yeah because uh, you have communion so you take a song out yeah so um yeah this is a baptist church um i grew up baptist so i know how the whole process goes it's nothing new to me and the songs i know all the songs just because once You've again there. they're just not new to me and like uh 
That's part of the reason why it's low stress too. I don't have to learn any new parts. I'm playing an electronic kit, so. Oh, is it a Roland or? It's a, a Roland TD twenty. Oh, we had yeah. the thirty, and that was pretty nice. It was pretty cool because you could. The sounds were okay, but the there's a big difference between the live kit that I'm playing on and that electric kit. I could put anything wherever I wanted to. That kind of goes onto the topic today, ergonomically setting up. Oh, thing. right. Yes. yes. We'll get into that. Yeah. Chase brought a topic. Thank goodness. Cause yeah. I didn't have one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the one thing I liked about the electric kit was that you can put anything wherever and it would work. <laughs> but with the acoustic, we're using an export kit, like a 93 export kit. Ooh, and the, they're, the toms are huge. Like I have to angle them all weird. I can't, I can't get it the way I want it to, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, that's what I like about them too. And I actually own an electronic kit. It's like, it's the one where it's like three of them are rubber pads and the snares mesh. The mesh. The mesh. Yeah, it's good. a TD8, I want to say, or TD12, something like that. Um, But yeah, that that's one thing I like about it. Is I, can, I can be like, oh, I don't like that ride symbol. I can just change it real quick. Yeah. Like, <laughs> go over to Dry, like, the. Dry, wet, whatever you want. Yeah, man. Like, seriously. It's, they're great. However, I think. Depending, like, their their main thing was, like, um, the guy that played there before me played really loud. And he oh, could yeah. only play really loud. So they had to turn him down. And that's why they had to No, no, no. They had an acoustic kit oh. before that. And he played super loud or super soft. So there was no in-between. <laughs> so I think once I'm established there more, I can be like, hey, let's try the, um, real, kit. A, the real kit now because – I can. I promise you, I won't blow anybody out of the water here. Like, yeah, they have me behind the fish tank. Yeah, because yeah, some, I don't want to go into that. But they have me the behind cage. the fish tank. Yeah, and it it wasn't my fault. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh, backstory. But we won't get into it. We can't. I can't get into it. I can't get into it. <laughs> um, but I mean, that also did that lead to your recent musical gig that you had. Which the, I wanted to talk about because I played a musical this year as well. Um, was that your first one? My first one. Yeah, they're kind of they're way different. They're world. so different. But uh, uh, yeah, so I did not get that gig from First United Methodist. I, Patrick and I, we used to go to this summer program called the Governor's Program at McNeese, right? And they would do a musical every year. Uh, so that was like sixth grade to sophomore year of yeah high just school. real briefly could you explain what the governor's program is basically it's a program uh an, a summer <laughs> program for gifted um youth i guess is what you would call it people that are like really bright and intelligent in some way i mean i don't know how i made it because my grades sucked but uh <laughs> i was in like spark and stuff so i guess they were like which it's hard to believe uh personal <laughs> note this man makes a 4.0 in the past like Four semesters. Yeah, so. I, I graduated high school with a 2.4, and then when I started the music program, dude, it was like instantly different person. Another dude. sign that you know what you're supposed to be doing. Exactly. Uh, but anyway, sorry to interrupt. But uh, what was I saying? <laughs> what were you saying? Uh, the governor's program. Yes. All right. So program. it's a summer program. So like, in the they have like a morning block, which is like uh, classes that each each level, I guess, like they have the kids split into different levels like how old you are and how what grade you're in and how long you've been there and stuff and this is an in-house living thing right oh yeah yeah so it's like a seven week long program and you live in the 
dorms and you take the morning block of classes with your group uh you you learn certain like three or four different it's like humanities creative writing and like some kind of something else i don't remember and then in the afternoon block there's electives so like you can do like choir or band or they have a drama. They have the musical thing. Uh, they have stage tech where you're not actually like in the musical, but you build the stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. That I think w- that's I what I would do. Besides playing in the pit. That yeah. Yeah. Well, they don't usually have the students in the pit. Like there was no students in the oh, pit. Oh, all hired. Yeah, it's all hired stuff. But the kids, they work on the the set, and that's what I did most of the time. But. Uh, yeah, so that's basically what the governor's program, and they put on this musical, and I got asked to do it this year by Mr. Lauderdale, and um, yeah, he gave me the music. I had, like, I only had half the equipment, so, like, I didn't have a Glock, I didn't have a xylophone, I didn't have the Wiro, and uh, a couple other things, but, so I had to borrow all that stuff. Right. I borrowed most of it from Taylor T, got the xylophone from Lonnie. Uh, and I just practice my butt off, dude, like every day a week. Running it's through uh, stuff. for those of you who don't know, especially on the Broadway gigs, uh, these guys are mostly doing all these instruments by themselves. Um, besides a few, I wouldn't say a few productions. Uh, a number of productions have multiple parts for multiple people, sort of such as like drum set only, um, and then pit orchestra only, whatever, all that stuff. But uh, he'll explain here in a second. But you're you're setup has to be ergonomic yes and, exactly and it has to be uh arranged in a way that like you can get to everything you need to in the right amount of time sometimes you only have one count to get from one thing to another yeah it's, uh, it's pretty stressful that's what we ran into with the musical i was in but yeah can how was your setup with that Okay, so uh, we had two percussionists, and I think that's usually how it goes with musicals. There's two dudes. Um, so Ron Muniz was playing drum set, and I played everything else. So I had to play um, a xylophone, a <coughs> Glock, the congas, which I had bought, uh, Taylor Teague's bongos, some temple blocks, uh, a tambourine, and I had brought two tambourines. I brought one that was mounted, and um, my black swan. Or my Grover. Brought one of them. Okay. And uh, a Wiro. I had a trade stand. Uh, shaker and triangle. So, so much stuff. There was a lot of stuff. <laughs> I think it yeah. was like 10 things that I had to have. That's actually more than than we had. Yeah? For, yeah. For Dang. our stuff. We played uh, Kiss Me Kate. It was a production here put on by Performing Arts Department of McNeese. And uh, this... Was a month of rehearsals, um, twice a week, and um, that's so much more. <laughs> four dress rehearsals, three to four hours each. Um, actually, I want to say more dress rehearsals, maybe, but I don't know. It was a lot, and uh, our setup was uh, I played mostly drum set. It was like some jazz stuff, and we had xylo, xylophone, bells. And timpani. Um, and did Blake play? Blake, Blake played timpani most of the time. Okay. Yeah. Um, which is great because there's it was just no possible way for me to get over to 
the timpani from where I was doing. You could do like a John Bonham setup and I, the timpani. Setup. I was I Dude. originally it was just me alone. I, I told him I was like I think this is written for two people because it was written In sometimes two, two two like double staff. So it was oh. like uh, xylophone on one on the top and bells on the bottom. And I was like, there's this is definitely written for two people. So they hired Blake, uh, one of my best friends. He's also my roommate. Um, to play timpani and uh, he's a good timpani player. Good timpani player. Very good. Um, so uh, yeah, we did that. Our setup basically was focused on how can we get to the xylophone bells faster. So we set up the drum set to the right and the timpani back left from the drum set in the and the keyboard set up in a central position to where we could get to them both, like in case we had to cover a part. So. Yeah. Uh, I'm guessing yours was you didn't have to mess with the drum sets. It was all based on you. Yeah, it was still kind of weird. So that was like my main concern with the gig as a whole was like, how am I going to set all this stuff up? So basically, I was going to copy the music and have two different like stations set up. But um, I ended up not doing that. I ended up setting the xylophone up against the wall and I had like a v-shape going so the xylophone was on the right and the bells were on the left and I didn't make them like meet at corners I had like the bell kit kind of flushed with the xylophone okay yeah you know what I'm talking about so it's like right here and then the other one's like coming off at yeah, an angle yeah so I had those two right there and I had the music stand in between them and then since the glock was smaller i could put the congas on the other side of it so it was kind of the same size on each side oh yeah so i just had all this stuff set up around the music stand and i was able to play the congas the bells the xylophone no problem but i had the all the other stuff that was on a trade stand so basically what i did was i kind of set that up behind me so i could play the stuff turn around and grab whatever I needed to and play it or just leave like I ended up leaving like I had the two tambourines right one of them sounded like crap and I didn't want to use it because like I had this xylophone lick and then I had to play the tri the the tambourine uh -huh. the tambourine a lot of T names for instruments yeah, and percussion I'm, I'm getting mixed up but, yeah uh, so I had the tambourine part right after it and the thing was I don't know if they wrote tempos in your music but they didn't write any tempos in my music uh, they, we were con like, well, y'all were conducted though. Yeah, right? we were conducted, yeah. but to learn the stuff, oh, I yeah. had no tempos. No, we had to base it off of recordings, recordings yeah, uh, from so previous either. Now here's the interesting thing about Kiss Me Kate. Kiss Me Kate was written in the sixties, right? Oh, so they revamped it in the early two thousands and the, the charts that we were playing were from the sixties. So the notation was sixties jazz style, oh, man. like, uh, quarter notes only and you do whatever you want yeah and like, uh, like it's everything's written in cut time yeah uh, and uh <laughs> there was that and then uh the charts that i had to listen to i couldn't find on itunes or anything like that because oh, yeah. they took all that down and put the new revamped broadway stuff so you're on there yeah yeah oh god um but yeah for learning it though we i had to base it off of recordings recordings now, I couldn't pr play with them. I just had to get the feel of them. Yeah, yeah, you know. for time. Yeah, um, and we cut yeah. a lot of stuff, too. So. Yeah, we did, too. So, like, 
another thing was I had like a bunch of hard xylophone parts, mm-hmm. and I learned them. I would I had this one that was like really fast and a bunch of arpeggios up and down the board and stuff. And if you make one mistake, you're like off. It's gone. Oh, it's super tonal. So anyway, they ended up cutting most of like the really ridiculously hard things. And so it made my job like completely easier. But yeah, anyway, it was, it was really cool. It was a cool experience. It's a, it's a weirdly stressful experience because, uh, in a situation like that, especially I've never been in that situation before. The uh, the thing about it was it was I do I have everything I need, and am yeah. I playing it correctly? And then after that, you have to relearn them because the cuts are put in. Yeah. And we couldn't ru- we couldn't like do any heavy like heavily you guys edited had to stuff. Do, like really light. Yeah, because they were rented parts. Yeah, yeah same. And, uh, same dude. Which is an interesting way to do things, but like. Um, yeah, we had to sit there and just lightly say, this is the cut right here. And then did you guys do the, like, after the first act, erase the first act? Yeah. And then, dude, okay, so I had a lot of rests. So, like, after the first act, I erased the first act. And then during the second act, since I had all these rests, I would be counting and then, like, erasing the stuff we just played. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, I'm kind of ashamed to say that we, in, the, in our second act, we had enough rest and time where we didn't play there was like 24 songs 24 pieces yeah there was a lot um a lot of them were were revamp like uh redoing part of a a previous song or whatever but some of them were standalone and the ones that were standalone we we rehearsed a lot yeah but other than that the short like little interlude scene scene changes especially we didn't really worry about or play on so with that being said, <laughs> we were playing like Words of Friends oh, <laughs> while the show was going on. Dude. <laughs> and, uh, sort of, kind of ashamed to say that at this because I was getting paid. You were probably playing me at the time. <laughs> I actually, absolutely, absolutely was. Dude. In fact, playing Words of Friends during a production, and it was a uh, we played the show f- five or six times. Oh. And I knew exactly by the second show, I knew exactly where. I had enough time to do all that. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, <laughs> especially since we were underneath everything. Was like, we weren't see. seeing it at all. Yeah. They had the stage, co- the pit covered. Uh, we were mic'd, and we, w- we weren't be able to see, be seen from the stage or the audience. Yeah, so. that's pretty convenient because then you can do whatever you want. Just like <laughs> yeah. flip the guitar board. Even now. our conductor was kind of like, yeah, after uh, a while. <laughs> Dude, don't don't get me into that. <laughs> but uh, don't get me into that. <laughs> uh, uh, such an yeah, musicals are weird, man. They're, I'm I'm glad are. we talked about that you know, because uh, it's such a weird. That's a gig, but it's it's such a different gig. Um, I thought it was gonna be more stressful. Like you you said, how many rehearsals did y'all have and stuff? We had twice a week for a month. Oh man, um, so that sounds awesome. That's about. Um, eight to ten there and then uh four to five dress rehearsals wow so we were fine so so check this out we had one rehearsal on saturday and that was during the drumline thing so i showed up i had to show up late yeah so that one was like a two to six and then sunday two to six then monday was like six to nine i missed that because i had that that other gig 
and I've let them know before. Right. I took the job. Please let you know. Please yeah. let your employers know when you're not going to be there. Yeah, and let them know before you accept the position too. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, so they had the Monday six to nine. I wasn't there. Tuesday six to nine, and then the actual performances were Wednesday, Thursday, Friday at seven. And okay. I don't know if you guys are familiar. I, okay, I played. Um, we did the musical Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. That's a lot to, to it's remember. It's a mouthful. I it's a mouth, yeah. I wrote down on my notes. You just chose it. But, uh, yeah, so that's that's the one we played. And it's very short. So That's like, good. Yeah, there it wasn't long at all. Like, I was probably down there from, like, 7 to 9. Ours was, was it. A, ours was about three and a half hours long. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I mean, I liked it. Uh, the, the music was great. Um, and it, what's interesting about that is I never saw a second of the stage work. Me either. Yeah. And that was like the most infuriating part because you're like, okay, I know all this music, but I have no idea what's going <laughs> on at all. <laughs> I would like to. So, like, we would poke our head. like, up. Did you guys have the monitors, the vocal monitors? No, we didn't. Oh, okay. So, okay, the first night we played, the vocal monitors were, like, turned off. And then the second and third night – they turned them on so we could actually hear like the plot and like what was going on. Oh, so good. yeah. Our our I awesome. think the house was loud enough for us to make sense of what was happening, but man, I would do it again just cuz I know what to expect. Now. Yeah, it, it was it really was, fun. It, it was, was fun. Super fun. It was a lot of fun. It was time consuming but worth it in the end. Um could add that to the playing resume, but uh yeah, definitely do it again. Now, Let's move on to what you came here to talk about. Yes. Yes. Let, yes. Let's let's let you introduce this topic. All right. So when I started taking drum lessons a long time ago from Trey, he really instilled this philosophy into my head, and it was set the drum set up to you, not you to the drum set. Ah. So basically what that means is don't just go sit behind some kit and try to play it. You're, you're going to have to adjust it. So – um. Uh, I don't remember if he made me do this, but I do this with my students. Sometimes I, and it's one of the beginning lessons, I'll tear down the entire drum set and tell them, all right, set it up. And then just kind of help them out as they go. And then, like, if they start doing something weird, I'll be like, okay, so why are you choosing to do this? And I'll be like, well, and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, no, dude, your foot's at an angle. Yeah. That, your knee is hitting the snare drum. Uh, yeah, I teach them. Uh, one of the first things I do is, um, especially if it's a student that is new to drums, I quiz them every lesson on what each drum is called. Yes, they, a lot of early students have no idea. Yes, and even hardware and even cymbals as yeah, well. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like boom arm. Yeah. Tom mount. Yeah. <laughs> uh, crash. So nobody can get... None of my kids remember snare drum. They always say sniper. <laughs> they say sniper drum. And I'm like, where'd you get that from? <laughs> what? Sniper drum. And <laughs> I don't say that because one of the students' mom mom sits in the lesson with me. Oh, that's the first time he said he says it every week, and I'm like, God. I'm like, no, no, no sniper. I know it's a weird name, but snare, like, come on, snare, sniper. Like, uh, and they can't get right either. Yeah, no, for some reason. Because you ride on it. Bro. Yeah, you ride. Anyway, yeah, you'll have students come in. They're not setting you up correctly. Yeah, so I just basically help them out, you know, like, you got to, this is what I This is what I normally do. Okay, so let's get into what I normally do. Okay, so 
when I first begin to set up a kit, like for a gig or after a gig, set it back up in my house, what I like to do is I just put the seat down, okay? And I normally have a bass drum, in, bass drum pedal in my right hand and then the hi-hat pedal in my left hand. And what I do is I close my eyes and I sit down. And like right now, the way I'm exactly sitting is very relaxed. Like this is how I would sit in a chair. So I just slide the bass drum pedal under it and slide the right, the uh, hi-hat pedal. So under you the start other with the pedals. I start with the pedals. Wow. I don't do anything else. Interesting. Yeah. So I sit down and, okay, another thing is make sure your knees aren't like, like right now this is too much. Like my knees are parallel to the floor. I don't like that. I like to sit up a little bit higher. So you can get a better angle. A better angle on the, the feet. On the, well, not only the feet, but it helps with the, with the rack tom. Okay. Because if you're sitting higher than it, you can angle it more flat. Oh, that's what so I like So you can too. hit at it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll come back to that. But uh, like I said, you sit down. You make sure your knees are a little bit kind of uh, angled towards the floor. You're going to probably maybe need to adjust this later depending on the way you're setting up the toms and stuff because some, some hardware will kind of limit the way you – set stuff up but so sit down eyes closed and open them see where your feet are put the pedals under it step one all okay, right cool yeah so then i bring in the bass drum okay and i just slide it on there okay and most drum kits they have the uh the bass drum tom arm thing i do not use that if I can get away with not using it. So you use the cymbal mounts. Yes, I use the tom arm mounts because with the bass drum mounts, that really limits where the toms can go. You basically have to have them on top of the bass drum at all times. Yeah, that's a huge issue with my personal case. Yes, because you have the L arms. Like if you had the pearl, uh, how they they go go inside. Yeah, that's... I would use those mounts and because you can get them to go out farther and stuff. And drummers, percussionists, the Yamaha arms also do that as yeah, well. They're they're cool. I think Mapex maybe as well. Yes, but they don't go inside the drum. Okay. So you they're kind of stuck at a certain distance. Now, side note, would you in your next kit, are you looking to buy one where the bass drum doesn't have it's a mount at all? Yeah. Um I'm strongly considering it, but there is that it comes also with the attachment. Like if you notice on yours right here, you have this hole. Yeah. You can stick that on a on a cymbal stand, and you could mount these two toms on a cymbal stand. So I like having that mount, but you can also always buy that later. But yes, I'll probably get a Virgin bass drum. Um. So anyway got the pedals down you slide the bass drum in okay and a lot of people try to get the bass drum to face directly forward at the audience i do not do that i try to set up to where my if i'm looking directly at the audience my bass drum is going facing the right and my hi-hat is facing the left okay and then i don't go to the snare drum next i actually go to the floor tom so I'll take that floor tom and stick it to the right 
right next to my leg where it's almost touching my leg, but it's not. Okay. And I try to get it as close to the bass drum as possible. So it's not like behind you. You know what I'm saying? It's like in front of you, kind of like a, like a tenor setup. That's okay. basically how do I try to do my drum set. I try to make it like a set of tenors to where I can possibly double in between oh, each thing. Okay. Even though I really don't do it, but it, it makes it easier to get to everything. So I set that floor tom up and I bring it up um, not too high because I'm going to need to adjust that depending on the way my toms are working. But so I put that floor tom there and then the snare drum. So next, since I don't use the bass drum arm attachment thing, I take my crash symbol, my main crash, and I put it a little off to the left. Okay. Then with that clamp, I put the tom on it and make sure the tom is directly in front of me. Oh, like I've seen a lot of people do that. So directly you, in front. Yeah. yeah. So you have the bass drum off to the right, <laughs> the hi hat off to the left, and the snare and the tom are right in front of you. Okay. Now, for the hi-hat height, I like to make the main tom and the hi-hat basically even. So if I wanted to go in between those two things, it would be on the same plane. You know, I never think about that. It's it's very important stuff to think wow. about. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, you want those even, and then I I rock a I rock a four piece. I don't I don't do the five. I recently went back to five. I the five is cool to have the option of the other tom, but it makes it awkward to get to the ride symbol. So basically, where that second rack tom is, that's where I'll slide the ride in. So I try to put the legs down as far as possible and then hook it up under the bass drum spur right here. So it's like going along, and then the other leg is pointing away yeah. from the bass drum. And then I boom the ride out. And the point of getting it as close to the bass drum as possible, like the actual stand, is so that if there's a lot of weight on that stand, it's not going to tip. So I get that ride symbol right next to that tom and like just like the hi-hat on the same plane. So if you want to go in between those two, there's like literally an inch between the head and the ride symbol. So you can just... Cool. Like that. Okay. So... Uh, did I already talk about having the snare set up? So you have the snare. No, okay. So now, depending on how much room you have, like vertically wise with the tom, uh, that's how I set up my snare drum. So if I can get my tom like pretty low to the bass drum, then I'll raise my snare drum to where it's like right at the bottom of that rim. And, oh, okay. And then make the snare drum even with the floor tom. You see, that, that comes into my issue and a lot of non-virgin uh, bass drum issues with the mounts. You can't get that thing low enough Yes, because you you'll, you'll scratch up your head and they'll rattle and it's, yeah, just, it's yeah. not a good situation. It's It kind of sucks. But so they're, basically, they're basically even, they're, the they're, snare drum and the tom. Um, I'd say maybe like an inch or two lower. And I like the tom a little bit angled. I don't like it completely flat like Travis Barker style. Oh, yeah. And I don't like it like super 80s hairband yeah. sideways. <laughs> yeah. So I basically have it angled. Um, uh, not a 45, a little bit less than a 45. And um, the snare is going to be like one to two inches lower than the rack tom 
And um, also, bass drum size is definitely going to come into play with that. So I, I have a twenty-two, but I really just want a twenty. Yeah, so if you 20. if you if you can choose a bass drum size, get that twenty. You can make a twenty sound bigger. You can't make a twenty-two sound no, smaller. No. Yeah. You, yeah. So, uh, and as far as the so I already talked about the ride, the tom, the snare, the hi hat, the floor tom. I like to try to get everything as close together as possible without it touching. Okay. So you can go in between everything. And like my ride, it dips over my floor tom just a little bit because you don't need to play like on the very edge of the floor tom. Right? Who, who, right. who does that? It gets, no. it gets like a muddy, nasty sound. Yeah, it's gross. So I have it dipped over that a little bit. And then, um, of course, the ride symbol is going to be angled kind of like the tom hi-hat height this is a very big issue that i see with a lot of people they like to play with either their hi-hats way too high or way too low whatever height your tom is at that's usually how i put the hi-hats because um to avoid hitting your sticks together you just put your hands right on top of each other and that will never happen you will never hit yeah, sticks never. yeah like that so yeah, that's another big fundamental idea is to make sure that your hands are not in any weird position to where your sticks will That's something that I don't think a lot of people in any instrument field or any field in life either, you don't really think about the basics a lot. Yeah. And we were just talking about this um, with our teacher um, uh, a couple weeks ago at a, at a camp. Um, sometimes you got to go back to the basics. All, all the time. Um, all that's the time. like... And actually, I was at a wedding on Saturday. Uh, good friends got married. And I saw a guy who uh, I went to high school with but also plays baseball here at McNeese. Um, and he was saying that he uh, goes back to the basics a lot with, like, fielding and yeah, batting yeah, yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. And, like, you you have to do that. Like, you, you have to do that, like um, – that was a door shutting. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a um, <laughs> flashing lens. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but back, like, you have to go through something that you started with every, one, every so often. And in all honesty, I'm self-taught um, drum set player. So I was never taught how to set up a kit. I didn't really learn how to set up a kit until I got here. Yeah. And, and well, I'm learning something new now with, with what you're saying. You have to look at things um, a little bit more detailed, like like think about it um, ergonomically is what you're yeah. the term you're using, and um, geez, like I didn't really think about that hi hat tom thing because like I do a lot of fills between the hi hat and the tom. You want those things as close together as possible yeah. without compromising your comfortability when you're sitting. And also, my hands sit a little bit offset. When I'm playing hi hat groove, so uh, uh, we're almost done. Um, I'll edit that out. Anyway, edit it out. So okay. you're talking about so. the tom and the hi hat thing. Oh yeah. Oh, hands on top of each other. Yeah, they're a little offset, so they um, every so often I'll get this the click or whatever, like that nobody likes yeah, like uh my girlfriend i was playing uh a solo one time on back to another marimba solo story 
and my sticks clicked like two or three times, which it's not written in. It's not supposed to happen. It she just thought happens. it was. She thought it was supposed <laughs> to happen. And she was like, I better not hear those sticks click again. And Damn, I was like, dang. She, she put the whip on. And I, was like, I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but okay. But uh, yeah, dude, uh, I think the main point here is there's more detail to, to stuff than people think. Uh, we were talking about going back to the basics with our teacher in playing where sometimes you just go got to go and just play a bar 16th notes. Yeah. Evenly. And then you if together. after you haven't done it for a while and you're sitting there you're like I can't play a bar 16th notes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh I'm sure with Wesley like um how yeah playing scales. Um uh, scale yeah. patterns and uh for the, the the two years of piano we took here at the university like you're sitting there just trying to play, play scales, the, the correct keys and like the correct fingerings, fingerings too yeah because you got 10 little dudes right here and we only have to deal with four at times so uh four options um but um as far as your process goes for this i think this is something that a lot of people can neglect. use in our field they, and they, neglect they, yeah they don't really think about it that much and I, even looking at this thing now my kit um well obviously this, this is bad of podcasting but looking at my kit um we need some like video. Uh, so we, can we should. I want to start live streaming this thing at some point. Uh, I, th- what Joe Rogan does, he uh, hooks up to YouTube Live and oh, live stream his, that? and then records it, and you post it for you. Wow. Um, but I don't know. I guess you get. Um, what kind of camera would you need for that? Would you Any kind. I could use the camera on this Oh really? Oh. Okay. I would like to do that maybe next time or something like maybe that. Maybe next uh, time. Just to try it out, but uh. So. I think what you have here is something that, uh, again, a lot of people can use in our in our field. Um, the uh, is there anything else you wanted to? I didn't talk about the crash symbols. All oh, right. Okay. okay. So the crash symbols, I like to set them uh, the height uh, to where you can reach out straight in front of you and hit the bell if you want to, okay. and you have to be able to choke them with. Um, your hand, your opposite hand that you're hitting it with, and the hand that you are hitting it with. So you have to be able to do both of those and hit the bells. I mean, if you have good bells. Right. I mean, I have some good bells. I, I only have, have like one. So I have the AAX explosions and the. I bells recorded and bells. an album on your kit, by the way. Oh yeah, so. that's right. We did that at my <laughs> house. Yeah, um, but that's interesting because a lot. Some people use. Uh, Ride symbols as crashes that have good bells. Yes, um, some some ride symbols are made for that, and others just sound ugly. But it's that's more of like a picking a symbol type thing. Okay, yeah, uh, I think that's great. And you mentioned something about using this in the future, like uh, officially, like for uh, maybe possibly like a paper or something like that. Or oh, dude, I would love to write a book on on that subject how to set up your kit and how to like the science of the science of getting started basically okay and like maybe gigging and whatever there's a lot of fundamental books out there for playing but is there really something out there for gigging gigging or networking for the musician i'm sure uh, maybe not maybe there is i don't know i haven't really looked yeah i don't be talking about blowing smoke here but um like i mean i'm gonna apply what i just heard here I mean, geez, like, and if you play in another instrument, if you play a sport, whatever, use the advice that I got 
and use the advice that I heard from an athlete who sits there and he's like, man, you just got to go back to the basics. Like, Fundamentals. And that has been the theme of my life recently. I, I'm doing a 30-day challenge um, with an exercise that's out of the out of an intermediate book, which is like for beginners. Um, I'm playing the same exercise every day, but every day I bump it up five clicks on the mm. on the metronome. I'm playing number four out of the Mitchell Peters book. It's the accent one. Yeah, like yeah, just adds on accents. Yeah, so that's super fundamental for us and for anybody out there who's like maybe in the business world or anything. Go back to like something that is fundamental in your world, where like you. You could build on top of that. I, one of my favorite drummers ever, Carter McLean. Um, he's the has been the sit-in Broadway uh, Lion King drummer. Oh, for the Broadway musical, the up in New York. Wasn't Tommy Igo doing that? Uh, at some point, I yeah. I think he fills in or something like that. But this guy sits there and you play single stroke rolls every day, like fundamental exercises, and probably doesn't even really pr- like. There's a lot of guys who who'll sit there and practice licks and chops all day. But they don't know how to play a rudiment. And there's the plug. Rudimental podcast. But <laughs> it is rudimental. It is fundamental. And that's why it can apply to other areas of life. Um, just like with working out, maybe sometimes your best workout is a push-up or, or a pull-up or something like that. You know, not just isolating some kind of, you know, muscle group. But that that's, I think, the common thing with, with this discussion. It's like, just go back to the basics. Um, and... This ergonomic drum set setting up process you do is super helpful, yeah. um, uh, at least for me. I mean, um, I've never known how to set up a kit another way. So, <coughs> well, I think you got something here that is worth uh, gold spreading, which I will help do as much as I can. Um, uh, as far as that goes, I'm trying to get um, this podcast up on different platforms. Uh, recently SoundCloud had a scare where they were going to get shut down or something. Chance the Rapper had to save him or something like that. Uh, Our savior. I'm trying to put uh, the first episode on Bandcamp, this episode on Bandcamp, and the next one on Bandcamp. Um, I'll still put it on SoundCloud, but SoundCloud, you have to be a user to use it, and some older people who aren't users were trying to listen to it, and they couldn't. So um, I'm also trying to get it on iTunes and Google Play. Um Put it on that YouTube, and then you can, like, insert pictures and, like, diagrams Okay, and yeah, yeah. Uh, Wesley also suge- suggested that. Um, uh, so I'm trying to do that. Um, and when that happens, um, I'm going to make a Twitter um, for this. And also I'm going to promote the podcast on my personal Instagram, um, at Hartwell Drums. Um, and that's my Twitter handle as well. Um Chase, do you have any social media you want to plug at all to find you, or do you really use it? Or uh, I mean, my Facebook, Chase Chillet, you know. Hit him up about some. G-I-L-L-E-T-T, like the razor, but no E at the end. <laughs> and then I think my Instagram name's like Chase the Razor 516 Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Chase. <laughs> People get his name wrong all the time, and they're like, Gillet. <laughs> Or they're like Gillette. They Gillette. say Gillette and stuff, yeah. and I'm like, it's it's just Gillette. You know? <laughs> uh, but I want to thank you for joining me oh on dude. my second episode of the Rudy Will Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's, it was awesome sharing yeah. this knowledge and being interviewed. That was really yeah. cool. 
like having just an organic conversation and that's what I want for uh all these episodes. Um my next guest uh on the next episode will be my good friend Josh Abair who also is a colleague of mine and a really good friend of mine. Um thanks for listening to this one and the next episode uh and this episode will be uploaded on Bandcamp along with the first episode. The reason I'm saying that now is so I can make good on my promise cuz I'll f- probably forget <laughs> <laughs> otherwise. Um, but okay thanks for listening see you next time later